are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. This time, I'm joining you here from Denver, Colorado, where I'm I'm doing a little vacation and a little bit of touring. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or an experience that I think expands the conversation. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my own experience consulting, including the work I do today at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I will get to the program in just a moment, but first a thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Andrea Zins, who is the president of Strategic Leadership Resources and the co-author of the book, Orchestrating Sustainable Innovation, a symphony in soundbites launching in March 2018. We talked about what leaders can do to shape, stimulate, and support innovation in organizations, as well as how the principles of jazz can lead to innovation. So with us this week is Ed Christmas, the founder of Sology Solutions. For the last two decades, he ran sales and marketing organizations for some of the leading companies selling communication systems, network services, and public safety technologies. In 2008, Ed had the vision to establish an IT system integration firm to capture the growth of IP technologies and digitalization. It was this vision which positioned Solgy Solutions to capitalize on the emergence of the Internet of Things market and its unlimited potential. Ed joined us today from Dallas, Texas. Ed, welcome to Working on Purpose. Good afternoon. Thank you. appreciate you inviting me on your show. You are so welcome. I've been so excited to have you on the show. In fact, I, as I mentioned before we got on air, if your ears weren't burning, they should have been because I was just talking <laughs> about you and what you're up to and what we're, what we're talking about today to various people, and they're so excited. So um, to kick us off here, um, I think it would make a lot of sense, Ed, just to help our listeners. I mean, a lot of listeners are like, gosh, I don't know what the heck is this driverless technology? What's the Internet of Things? Smart cities, what's all that? So let's start first by just giving some some understanding of what you and your team do at Solgy Solutions. Sure. Um, we're a system integration firm. In simple terms, we help customers deploy technologies that improve safety and security, situational awareness, or operational efficiencies. And this is really accomplished by bringing things onto the network, of the enterprise network. So that's the Internet of Things uh, title in um, our background. So give us some examples just to make that a little bit more, uh, more, less abstract and more concrete for our listeners. Can you give us an example of like some of the kind of work that you would actually do for an enterprise? Sure. I'll just share a little bit about, you know, what is this term, Internet of Things? And that's what it is, a term. Uh, it means many different things to many different players. But it, I see it as a differentiator from yesterday's Internet traffic to tomorrow's Internet traffic. If you looked uh, two years ago, there was, roughly 6 billion devices on the network, and those were traditional devices that everyone's used to, uh, your laptop, um, your uh, servers in an enterprise environment, even your iPads, smart tablets, smartphones. 
they're predicting by 2020 they'll be up to 50 billion devices, so significantly growth uh, in that area. And the growth is coming from the things, not your traditional computers. Uh, it's coming from, if you look at smart homes, it's coming from anywhere from doorbells uh, with ring technology, the Nest thermostats, uh, surveillance cameras, uh, environmental sensors, uh, street lighting. So we help companies bring these uh, things onto the network, these sensors and devices that traditionally haven't been on the network. So that's where we help companies improve safety and security by bringing uh, video surveillance cameras onto the network. So not only can uh, police departments watch, uh, community uh, watch guards could watch, it's, it's available uh, via your smartphone. Does that make sense? It does, beautifully. And I really like to be able to help our listeners just really grasp the, the topic because one of the things that you probably should know, Ed, is that we we enjoy a listenership across the globe. So there are people literally in Malaysia and India and Argentina and, of course, California and New Jersey listening to us. And, of course, everybody has a different differing understanding of what is the Internet of Things. So try to boil that down for anybody who's just like, what is this new world we're coming into? What does it mean for me? And so that, that helped tremendously. Thank you. Yes. Um, I guess, sorry, were you going to say something else? Go ahead. No, I said I'm great that, it, you know, it's, it's funny that term can mean a lot of different things, but in the simplest term, it's, it's these new devices coming onto the network. So the things are, you know, not your smartphone, not your computer. Uh, it's a, a light bulb. I like that. I like that. Um, well, let's get into one of the things I wanted to talk about today, and I, I guess in general what I'm really trying to get to in this conversation here, Ed, is you know, and anybody who's been listening to the show at all knows that I'm fascinated and fixated on our experience of work and how it, how it will change, how it can be enriched, how it can be more meaningful, uh, and so certainly digitization and the world of technology will continue to impact our experience and how we do our work. So one of the things you and I talked about is what's coming fast around the corner is driverless cars. So first, if you could speak a little bit on that topic, Ed, you know, what's, what is happening today in terms of, of their development? How far are we away from seeing driverless cars, et cetera? And then I'll, I'll drill down from there. No, very good question. And the driverless cars uh, is something that's happening as we speak. There's several manufacturers that are building cars with the appropriate sensors to communicate what they call V2I vehicle to infrastructure as well as V2V vehicle to vehicle. So some of the high-end vehicles, you're familiar with Tesla, uh, uh, Audi uh, has these vehicles. Uh, every day you're hearing manufacturers introduce these cars that are ready. Uh, rumor has it uh, sometime 2020, all new uh, manufactured cars will be mandated to have these necessary sensors to uh, enable autonomous vehicles. However, when you say, you know, when is it coming, uh, let's face it, not everyone's going to be in a position to get rid of their old cars. So uh, as far as when it'll be fully adopted or mass adoption take place, uh, they're predicting anywhere from 2030 to 2040. And the driver behind that will be cost. Uh, as I just indicated, some of the manufacturers that are early in this stage aren't your low-end cars. So for it to be adopted by the masses, it, it will definitely be an economic picture of when they can make these cars affordable for everyone. 
And then you have one other component, the infrastructure. The infrastructure will have to be updated so that the roads are ready to take on these cars and put the appropriate sensors within the roads. So uh, a lot has to happen. Our government will be involved here in the U.S., but uh, it's not as far as you think. The technology is there today, so it's just going to come down to economics and uh, federal mandates. Fascinating, and I appreciate how you situated time and some of the other other contingent factors around how we'll need to prepare the infrastructure, et cetera. Um, So let's let's now kind of bring that and presence that whole notion into our daily lives and and our work. So I was speaking with one of my clients I was coaching yesterday when I told her that I was going to have you on the show and what we're going to be talking about, and I said, gosh, let's think about that. If we're not the one that's driving the car on the way to work, what are we doing with that? And she said, well, there better be an outlet in there for my curling iron because what I'm going to be doing is putting my makeup on and curling my hair because if I'm not driving, I'm doing something. So talk to us. Tell us what you think. I mean, how will, how will being in a driverless car, an automated car, change how we live and work? It's interesting. I think uh, we're being introduced to it slowly. I mean, the whole ride share programs. I don't know if you're a big user of uh, I am. Uber I love Lyft Uber and Lyft, yes. Vehicles. But uh, I don't think twice about it now when I go into a city. The first thing I do is pull out my application and see how, where a vehicle is for me. Uh, I could see that being similar in Uber and all of these companies are looking at it where uh, it'll just be an autonomous vehicle. And then you ask yourself, you know, what do you do at the time? Uh, during that ride, uh, matter of fact, if, if that's the uh, premise that you could do your hair and all of that, I would have to say I see autonomous vehicles going around now because every time I look next to me, I see people doing exactly what you're talking about. But the real driver behind autonomous vehicles is really around safety. If you mm. uh, looked at studies 10 years ago, the number one problem with driver safety was DWI. Today, it's the distracted driver, just what you mentioned, um, people doing their hair while driving or talking on the cell phone. So uh, it will, you say, how will it impact our lives? I say, it'll make the roads a lot safer. Some people think the opposite. Oh, if I'm not controlling the car, uh, I don't feel safe. And it's just the opposite. If you look at the accidents, it's due to uh, human behavior. Uh, not paying attention or being distracted. I wanted to make a little bit of a funny joke and say that you won't be one of the people that will be curling your hair on the way to, <laughs> to, to work in a driverless car, but we'll leave that to let our listeners, For our listeners your bio that... see what I mean by that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know I love you, I Ed. Um, so... Uh, Another thing that I want to talk about that I think is really interesting when we think about change and think about, you know, just how society is changing, and and I'd like you to comment on this from your perspective, but I'm getting this perspective from some of the real estate um, development clients that I work with when they talk about how the millennials are really driving, how they change the way they construct real estate and homes. They, they're looking for less space to maintain, less yard to maintain. And then there's a conversation about about automated vehicles, the idea being that maybe millennials don't want to even own a car. Why, why would you want to do that if you can just do a shared ride? Um, you know, what's the point of owning a car? Um, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Our cities are faced with this now. They said the millennials are uh, looking to move back into the cities. You know, there was a big trend for 
people to move out of the cities to the suburbs to raise your family. The millennials want to uh, move into the city. Uh, convenience is everything. Instant, you know, gratification. I want to, you know, work, play, and um, do all my activities right in the community. So cities are faced with this. Uh, some of the drivers around uh, smart cities are because of this trend to uh, urbanize, move back in. So cities are faced with, okay, we have limited resources. How do we address sustainability, water, electricity, all of that? Also, how do we make our city attractive, right? Congestion, traffic, environment, right? You know, with all these cars coming in. So you'll see a big push in the electronic uh, electric vehicles. And the third component is how do I make my city attractive? You know, are the streets safe? Do we have proper lighting? Um, so you take all those factors into play, and that's the creation of smart cities where uh, there's a lot of intelligence of what's going on, uh, what's the traffic like, uh, what's the environmental um, air quality, and all of these things, you know, uh, major events, you know, what's the best way to route route people in and out of the city. So uh, you're spot on. The the change is occurring driven by these millennials. They're building, even if it's not in the city, uh, in the suburbs, they're making these communities that uh, are centered around employment, um, entertainment, dining, and living all in one area where you don't need a vehicle. And if you do need a vehicle, uh, they're definitely not owning a car that sits in the garage. Just think about that. Uh, people don't realize it, but how much time do you actually drive your car? Uh, they say it's uh, less than 10% of the hours of the day. So you, you get in your car, you drive it, you park it at work, you may go out to lunch, you may bring in lunch, and then you go home or make a few errands. But if you take all the hours in the day, uh, on an average, it's less than 10%. So, so why own that asset? Exactly, Ed, and that's it. some of the, the conversations that I've been having around this. And when I think, too, uh, just a little bit more treatment on this, and we'll need to go on a break here in just a second, but uh, when I think about what, how, how will this, this change in technology impact our lives and our work, I mean, obviously, if we're not the ones that are sitting, sitting in traffic, getting frustrated on the way to work, spending that time, we can actually divert that time elsewhere. Maybe that's when we do actually take a productive conference call, right? Maybe that's when we are actually listening to a, a podcast and getting, really getting something out of it. I'm going to contrast that to I was in Amsterdam a few years ago in January delivering a, a leadership um, session to some, some, um, some folks over there. And on the way there, Ed, I literally saw people riding their bicycles through the snow on a conference call. <laughs> a little That's bit creative. different concept we're talking about here, yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Absolutely. It's, it's just it's it's really really interesting to think about how how um just this whole way that we will be able to spend our time and divert our attention um and 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 also what I also want to get to is frankly then spend more time on doing things that are less, you know, what do I want to say? Uh, simple and more higher level skill, more require higher level competency. So, you know, yes, driving is very important. You've got to pay attention. You've got to be safe. Although if we can now take those energies and put them into something that's creative or a really fantastic telephone exchange, or maybe we've written something on the way to work, it seems to me that that's a higher level, higher order level of skill 
than than driving. That that to me that gets to more meaning, more more activation, more enrichment, and I'm interested in that. That's certainly of of, of, of desire for me. No, you're you're spot on, and you know they say what's the impact of uh, artificial intelligence, you know AI in the world as we uh, work every day. In simple terms, is um, it's going to take away the routine tasks that are sometimes mundane and uh, boring, right? Remove to uh, machines to do that and allow us to be more creative and uh, work on creative and strategic activities, right? So uh, definitely driving is one of those. I mean, who looks forward to jumping in the car to go drive? So if you could automate that with intelligence, um, it allows us to, like you said, be more productive on the way to work. So uh, I, I think you're spot on there, at least. Thank you. Right up my alley. And a perfect time for us to take a break, Ed. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Ed Christmas. He's the founder of Sology Solutions, which connects the unconnected. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking a little bit about driverless cars and how that will impact how we live and we work. After the break, we're going to talk more about those smart cities that you mentioned before. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ed Christmas, who is the founder of Sology Solutions. For the last two decades, he ran sales and marketing organizations for some of the leading companies selling communication systems, network services, and public safety technologies. In 2008, Ed had the vision to establish an IT system integration firm to capture the growth of IP technologies and digitization. It was this vision which positioned Sology Solutions to capitalize on the emergence of the Internet of Things market and its unlimited potential. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Ed, for this segment, I, I really want to help our listeners understand the potential and what's happening around what you term smart cities. So, first, you, you mentioned them already, but what do you mean exactly by smart cities? That are we use the term in the technology field that are connected, um, being able to uh, see things that were normally disparate technologies or uh, having visibility to what's going on in the city. I'll I'll uh, um, relate relate it to smart homes. So today I could open my garage door without being there. I could turn lights on. I could see what my thermostat's set at. Cities have similar. Uh, environments where they need to know quickly if they have water leaks. They need to know what their utility usage is on their street lights. They need to know uh, where crowds are detected to increase the density of their, uh, their lighting. So it's bringing all of these technologies onto the network so that there's visibility at all levels for the shareholders as well as citizens. Let me give you this example. How cool would it be to say, to know, or speak to Alexa, right? Alexa, it's time for me to go to uh, the game tonight downtown. Alexa pulls it up on your calendar, knows the address. Alexa is able to tap into the traffic on the way down uh, to direct you for the quickest route, uh, no different than ways. Alexa knows from the city application where available parking is. Uh, Alexa knows uh, with the shared information on the city uh, portal, you know, restaurant availability. So uh, just putting all of this, uh, making it available to the user, no different than what we did in the uh, the taxi industry, making uh, smart uh, uh, taxis with Uber and Lyft. So uh, does that give you a background of what a smart city is? having the information to make informative decisions in a proactive yes. state as opposed to reactive. Yes, it does. And if you could say, you alluded in the last segment about what it would take that in order to, to work, for example, to support driverless cars, you know, that the infrastructure will need to be severely, or maybe not severely, but upgraded. So maybe it would be good for us to understand a bit more of just what does it take then in order to, to, to support and sustain a smart city setup? Yes, I mean, it's a great question, and it's a, it's a big question that uh, I'll try to simplify, but there's definitely more coordinated effort. Uh, cities traditionally have worked in silos. The Water Department, you know, addressed water. Public Works addressed, you know, street improvements and, you know, Lighting Department, uh, Transportation or School Districts. They're all disparate organizations. Uh, it really takes uh, collaboration among all entities in the cities, uh, for example, just take your transit operator, which is usually not operated by the city, would have to be coordinated with that to give you the best uh, means of transportation into the city. Should it be an Uber shared ride? Should it be uh, mass transportation? Um, 
infrastructure, road infrastructure, a simple example is the cars uh, of the future have these sensors that detect potholes. So being able to hit a pothole, report that information into the nearest intersection so that the city manager knows that I have an issue on this road, 13 cars reported rough roads, you know, at this area, and you automatically dispatch someone to repair that pothole. Those types of efficiencies uh, will be available, and you say, what does it take? It, It takes connecting traffic intersections, putting sensors in the in the roads, uh, connecting your lighting, uh, all of these uh, what we call things in the earlier session uh, that today are not on the network, the enterprise network or the city network, will have to be brought onto the network to have a holistic view of what's going on. I just had a flash as you were saying that, Ed, and I imagined that the city manager you were mentioning receiving that information, and I thought to myself, okay, again, since the show is really focused on helping people, helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work, I wonder, you know, the efficiency of that. I mean, gosh, what a difference that would be if you had that information quickly. Of course, they then need a system on their side to be able to capture it so it's meaningful and so it's actionable for them to work from as well, of course, but... It seems to me, I don't know how they would otherwise get a report about a pothole. Do you have any idea on that? Today it's uh, 311. If uh, most cities have information services, which is 311, not your emergency 911, where you would call in and say trash wasn't picked up today. And, you know, someone would take that call and note it and move on, and then you'd realize, wow, you know, this this one-mile radius trash hasn't been picked up, but you know, automating that, making it available to report through city apps, which is something that's happening today. Cities are realizing to engage their citizens, they want to have uh, applications. Uh, uh, easy one to relate to is see something, say something. So a lot of your major cities are rolling out apps on their page where, you know, you could pull up and say, you know, uh, debris in the street, and immediately that comes in. So that's a simplistic term uh, or, or way to get there. So there's a lot more of community engagement, the importance of uh, making citizens proud of their cities uh, is all about engaging them and uh, letting them realize the benefits of being a connected city and a smart city. Mm. All of that sounds wonderfully delicious to me, Ed. <laughs> and at the same time, it does. It just absolutely does. And at the same time, I I want to talk about something that I, I know is it, at least in the background of people who are listening, if not quite smack in the foreground. And that is, oh my gosh, all of this talk about smart cities and new technology and automation, that means that at some point, you know, maybe my job goes away. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective on how automation does change our work world. It does take away some jobs. It does automate certain things that a person used to do. No, it's a, a very valid uh, point. Matter of fact, if anyone says it, it won't take away certain jobs, then they're lying to you. So uh, definitely will take away. I have engineers on my team saying, you know, they won't be needed, I think, Skill sets will have to be adjusted. As I stated earlier, AI or artificial intelligence will take away the routine task. Um, I think personally, coming from a sales and marketing perspective, 
it allows us to focus on the service, the soft skills that really are hard to replicate in AI technology. Uh, customer service, for example, yes, you could take a routine call. But if you want to have excellent and premier customer service, you need those emotions. You need that to understand, look someone in the eye, things like that. So uh, definitely there will be tasks that are taken away. I think it will allow people to focus on, as I said earlier, the creative and strategic activities. So skill sets will have to be shifted. Um, and that's where our whole education system comes into play, realizing you don't want to focus on a career that has the potential to be taken away. Uh, a great example is toll booth uh, attendance. You know, when's the last time you went through a toll booth and dropped in change or a dollar, you know, that that career is gone and it's through all automation and the vehicle with a toll tag going through, correct? Or, you know, capturing your license plate and sending you a invoice in the mail. So um, that task or that skill is no longer needed, but there's other areas that uh, those resources can focus on. Completely agree. So anybody who's heard me talk just a couple of times knows that I'm, I really am interested in helping more people live with passion and work on purpose. And what I know from the research that I've done, Ed, I researched and interviewed 115 people across 20 different professions between the ages of 18 and 74 to learn just really what do they find meaningful about the work that they do and how does it relate to their sense of self or their identity. And I found 15 mm-hmm. modes of engagement. And what I learned in that process, Ed, was that generally speaking, not completely, but generally speaking, if you looked at how the meaning elements that they depicted fell in line with Maslow's hierarchy of meaning, um, so that you could see that if it was more of just, you know, a physical-oriented skill, and then we moved into sort of something emotional, or then we got into relationship, and then we got into the cognitive and into into the values, the higher up you went the more meaning the person experienced in the work that they did, and therefore the more fulfilling it was, and oftentimes the more important it was to their sense of person. Not that we want work to be everything, but if it becomes so meaningful that it just becomes a way of life for you and everything else is enjoyable, then fantastic. And so all the more reason that, yes, I completely understand that we will need to retool people in order to live in this new world that's unfolding as we, as we speak and breathe in this call. And it's scary as heck for a lot of people out there that recognize, well, I don't know maybe what to do next. And and I want to make sure that we position this conversation as it's an opportunity for you to become more of the person you can actually be. Your comments? Absolutely. It goes back to the saying, you know, some people are afraid of change, right? But we all know change could be very good. Uh, I, I think the biggest problem I always uh, talk with my team is, being afraid to fail, right? The the unknown. Oh, it's scary out there. I know this. I've been doing this for 20 years. So they're comfortable. They become complacent. But as you know, that doesn't help an individual grow. Uh, so I think to your point, I think it's an opportunity. Let's not look at it as, oh, it's a negative and, you know, it's it's sad. It's It's an opportunity for people to grow and really find their passion. I like your point about the higher up you go in that uh, here at hierarchy, you know, the more rewarding the career is, right? I, I can't imagine, and hopefully I'm not talking bad about toll attendance, but I can't imagine that was something exciting to do every day, right? But I'm sure now, uh, wherever they've gone or the retooling they've taken, uh, hopefully it's uh, it's more rewarding than that. 
Yeah, and let me give a, a really concrete example of that as well. That I think the, the, the toll attendant is a very good example. And, and certainly, like you, I would never want to diminish anyone's experience of doing that kind of work because I, what I do know about human beings is that human beings have the remarkable ability to make meaning in anything that they do. And so they have the ability to create that meaning for themselves. And so even if it's something on the outside that doesn't look like it might be a lot of fun, they know how to make meaning in it. So I, I never want to diminish that either, like you're saying. Absolutely. But one thing... One thing I want to I want to really just bring home to the listeners is it's just this last trip that I've been on, Ed. Um, I went to the airport to check in my bags for security, and the the tubs that you put all your stuff in to go to security were completely different. They were larger and bigger, and there was a person there, kind mm. of frankly barking for me to put all of my stuff <laughs> into this tub and move it over and do this, whatever. And I looked up and I realized, oh my gosh. Now the tub system in this particular security line is now on a chain system. There is not a person involved mm-hmm. again. Yep. And and I realize okay, there's another example of something that's been automated. Now, I think personally that a, a person can do a lot more than move those bins from one area of the airport to the other. And there's more that we could pull from from that person. But it was a job that's now gone to a machine. Um, so just an interesting, just real-life, everyday example of, of how that changes and, and what the opportunities are for that. Right. No, I, it's funny you say that. I just experienced that myself, and I was thrown off. So there was a person there telling me how to do it. So, so there was a job created around that. But uh, that little change threw me off. But uh, you're right. It's, it's all automated now. So uh, a lot more efficiency in that whole process. Well, and you know what I'll also say? Let me just tell on myself here, Ed. I've just recently tried to get my head around this. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a type A person, I tend to talk fast, I walk fast, I'm on a mission, I've got a big, two, you know, long list of to-do items like everybody else on the planet. And what happens for me is when I encounter an obstacle and I don't quite know yet how to do it, I get frustrated. So the old me, <laughs> prior to this epiphany thing that I had recently, would have just gotten frustrated and maybe not try something and just try to uh, work around something. Now I'm like, all right, Elise, come on, you can figure this out. So no, this is not what you, you're used to, but maybe if you just take a second and try to see how does this, you know, this remote control actually work? What is this new application that you just installed on your phone? How, come on, you can, you can try to work at this. And so what I also recognize, back to what you, what you said about change, is there is a required element of adaptation to all of this change that does yes. take something from us, requires something from us. Yes. And I think, um, let's just say adults of a certain age uh, have in the back of their head of that fear, I won't know how to do it, and they shy away from it. I think the, new, uh, the younger generation, they grew up with the constant change and uh, a very comfortable jumping into something. And you could see it. You could give a, a child a smartphone, and they won't hesitate at all, you know, getting into the application and trying things where uh, a more mature adult will, will hesitate and be very cautious about pressing buttons. So I absolutely agree with you. The, the change is something that our... Uh, society has to get comfortable with, and, and I do think the younger generation will be okay with that. Well, you just present something for me really quick that I want to, I want to throw in, Ed. And so when we think about how will living in a smart city change the way we live and we work, and you just maybe think about something. I did a show about a year and a half ago on reverse mentoring, the idea being that organizations are employing this concept where they bring in the younger generations to um, it be in a mutual coaching relationship with their their elders. 
the idea being that each contributes to the other. So the younger generation teaches the older one about how to use technology and social media uh, and, you know, bring up their presentation abilities. And the older generation teaches the younger ones about how to handle strategy and um, wow. politics and all that kind of thing. It's brilliant. So if we employ that same idea in how we work within a smart city to help, you know, the older folks like me handle the change of all this new technology, hold their hand, if you will, I can really see that as being an essential part of a of, of a partnership of how organizations utilize their employees to ease this transition between the generations. That's absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And that, that seems pretty fascinating. And uh, to your point, one of the challenges I have as a company is some of the younger generation do not have some of the skills that the older generation has as far as strategic thinking, you know, if you give them a task, they'll go tackle it. Uh, but the strategic thinking, uh, stepping out of the box, uh, things of that sort are, are interesting. And I, and I attribute it, I was talking with my management team, I attribute it to the upbringing of kids. So uh, they're definitely open to change. But just think about uh, when I was a child, we went out and there was so much independence figuring things out. I coached uh, sport, sporting teams, and if I let the kids just try to figure out teams on their own, they're, they're looking for me to, you know, divide up the teams of, you know, who should do what. So the whole creativity, my fear, is going away. So I like the idea of aligning those two uh, generations to learn from each other. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I do too. And doing it with intentionality and purpose and a plan, I think, is really essential to move us forward. So you elicited that in me when we were talking about the smart cities and adaptation. So thank you for that. And I hope some of our listeners got some value out of that part of it too. So um, here we are up for our next break already. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. I've been on the air with Ed Christmas, who is the founder of Sology Solutions, which connects the unconnected. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We'll be right back after the break. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Get in 
inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Ed Christmas, who is the founder of Soulgy Solutions. For the last two decades, he ran sales and marketing organizations for some of the leading companies selling communication systems, network services, and public safety technologies. In 2008, Ed had the vision to establish an IT system integration firm to capture the growth of IP technologies and digitization. It was this vision which positioned Soulgy Solutions to capitalize on the emergence of the Internet of Things market and its unlimited potential. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Ed, I I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about your own experience of creating Soldier Solutions. You were in various corporate roles, and if you want to say a few things about that, that's great. But what I wanted to share with the listeners is when you and I first spoke on the phone about being on the show and you told me a bit about just what it was that you were trying to do, the experience, the work, the life that you were trying to create um, by founding the business and what it means to you, when I, when I think about working on purpose, that's certainly working on purpose. So tell us a little bit about how, maybe a, bit, a bit about your background, and then just what, what were you trying to do when you founded the company? Sure. I think when we spoke last, Elise, I, I, I mentioned I think a lot of employees struggle with that balance. And you hear corporations say, we have a work-life balance, and that's something I personally struggled with. Uh, quite a bit as you're moving up the ranks. Uh, corporate environment uh, can get very political. Uh, you're fighting for a limited number of seats at the top. Um, and, and the game changes, right? Uh, you have to show your commitment to the corporation and your, your uh, I guess, your contribution to the corporation. And it, it becomes very challenging to balance that with your personal life. And I had young kids, young family. Uh, I personally struggled with, you know, how do I do a better job at this? And that's what gave me the drive to break away. And uh, as I mentioned to you once before, the challenge is once you're on that wheel, it's hard to jump off uh, in a corporate environment because uh, you become used to certain things and um, it's, it's easy to keep putting it off. But it's not until I jumped off that I realized the balance is much easier when you do have your own business. Uh, just take your community, uh, being able to give back to the community and be involved in your community, to be able to go to a sporting event with your kids and spend time with your neighbors and, you know, right after school activities and things like that. Uh, I just didn't have a chance doing that. 
uh, in corporate environment uh, between the travel and the commitment of uh, my previous uh, jobs, if that makes sense to you. It does. And let me take that down another layer. So for our listeners out there, Ed, who I know there are lots of people out there who are dying to start their own their own business and just for various reasons haven't made the leap that it's more, you know, that there's less risk to stay where they are, et cetera. So talk about having to change and having to lean into risk. Um, tell us what it was that finally made you decide to jump out on your own. Was there a particular impetus or something that occurred that you can share with us? Uh, on my particular case, uh, the stars and moon started aligning. Uh, as I mentioned, I had two young kids and uh, received a little bit of um, guilt of not being a part of the upbringing of those kids. But more importantly, uh, my career afforded me to uh, come into some capital that allowed me almost a safety net to try something without too much risk. To the to my family, so that helped significantly because, as anyone who started a business or thinking about it, uh, you have to go into it assuming that you're not going to make a ton of money in the beginning, uh, a lot of hours, and uh, not a lot of money in the beginning unless you're lucky. So uh, that afforded me to uh, grow the business as necessary over time. So that helped me. I've seen others that. Uh, were able to negotiate with their previous employers a situation where they would give them business to do some of the same services as when they were employed there. So there's a lot of different roads, but I think the biggest thing is um, believing in yourself and having the confidence that uh, you can make this work is key. And during that uh, journey, there's always going to be times when you question, did you do the right thing? Um, but again, it goes back to passion, right? If you love it, uh, it could be rewarding even if, you know, you're not achieving what you thought you would. Uh, the whole uh, passion in doing something you like to do uh, outweighs a lot of it, any negativity. I think that at this point I want to say that I am present to my coach, Sean, what he tells me all the time, Sean Anderson. He's just an amazing human being. He's helped me so much. One of the things that he tells me a lot is, look, Elise, how are you going to feel if you don't do whatever it is I'm setting out to write my book, you know, um, do my, do, you know, do my, my, my work on passion annual conference. He said, how are you going to feel if you don't do that? And if you look back on your life and you review the course of events and you don't have a check mark next to, I did this or I tried this, how will you feel? And I think that's such a great way to look at it, right? If your life is no, complete, I, if you didn't I actually do it. I think that's awesome, actually. That's uh, something that really uh, had an impact on me deciding to do it. Even when I was in corporate, I always was attracted to uh, particular roles that allowed me to do something different, new, uh, entrepreneurial spirited, but still a part of a larger corporation, and I've always asked myself in those roles, why couldn't I do this on myself? Because as you know, in a large corporation, you're restricted no matter, you know, how flexible they are or what they say they are. And I always question. So to to your point of what your coach mentioned, I never wanted to be in a position where I said I should have, would have, I wish I did this. So that's what really drove it at the end of the day. You know, 
everything align. Here's your opportunity. You know, if you're really serious about this, go try it. Well, anybody who knows me individually, personally, or has heard the show a couple times know that what I stand for is empowering others. I stand for others to, to go after their dreams, to, to become the person they most ardently want to become. And so part of the reason I host this show is to, just to give them some inspiration, to give them examples of people who have come before them, who've gone their way. So thank you for being that example for us, Ed. That's just wonderful. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> um, and now another thing I wanted to talk about... If, if we can, is um, you mentioned something very specific when you talked about your business, and you and you said that you you've been enjoying the the family aspect of creating this business. What do you mean? Uh, absolutely, and I, we call it internally here a community. And people say, "What do you mean community?" And I think it's uh, uh, kind of a three-legged stool, school, stool, where you know there's a workplace. There's uh, relationships in the work, and then there's the community. Um, being able to tie those together where it's it's blended because traditionally you go to work, you leave work, you go meet your friends for a drink, or then you may have to volunteer at your church or something like that. Having my own business allowed me to blend all of those where at any point, I never feel like I'm being pulled from one or the other. I incorporate them into my uh, environment and my day-to-day activity. For example, here at the company, we we have where you could schedule volunteer hours, and you're you're paid for that. So no one has to feel like, oh, I got to go take a day off of work to volunteer at my church or to give back to my community and you know do North Texas Food Bank or something like that. So. Uh, same with friends. When we have functions, we say, invite your friends. I don't want anyone to say, oh, I would love to go out with you guys after work today, but I promised my friend I was going to do something. Invite them along. So being able to uh, create that environment and culture where uh, people embrace that uh, has been wonderful for me. And uh, it took away the constant battle of, you know, family versus work, and it, it's all together. I, I work with a lot of my friends, or I, I establish relationships where, you know, I befriended a lot of my customers and things like that, so that at all times I feel like I'm completed by uh, checking all three of those boxes, if that makes sense. It makes beautiful sense, and I really want to applaud that, and I, I hope our listeners really understand just how beautiful that really is, and that I would also say, though, Ed, it's a reflection of just who you are and how you walk through the world, and I really appreciate that. I re- admire that. I respect that, and, and when I grow up, I want to be you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about that one day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, um, um, one thing that I like to do when I, when I work with my guests is I, I like to be able to give them the, the last word, if you will, on the show. So if you can, a couple things. I'd like you, if you can, in maybe about a minute or two, um, what are you most excited about how technology will change the way that we work? And then any parting thoughts that you want to give to our listeners? Sure, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity, again, to be on your show. I find, find it very uh, exciting to uh, share so much with your listeners. But if you talk about technology and how it impacts uh, our work in the future down the road, uh, we talked a little bit about it. But I think one thing that's pretty evident is through technology, we have a lot more flexibility. I think you mentioned someone riding a bike and taking a conference call in the snow. But, uh, you know, uh, being remote 
is very common now, never having to go into an office. Um, being able to have video conferences where you don't have to jump on planes. So it just brings a lot of flexibility, which can have significant impact on employees and that balance between uh, work and family. The other thing, as we mentioned, the whole uh, AI, um, uh, artificial intelligence uh Removing some of the mundane things, you know, just think about calendars and things like that. Uh, you know, being able to wake up in the morning and uh, call out Alexa and just ask for my schedule or what the weather is today and just making things a lot simpler. I think uh, it will give us time to really focus on the uh, key strategic things that we really have to get done. Uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. And I would just leave your audience with saying just what we talked about. Whatever you're passionate about, you got to try it. Don't be afraid to fail. Uh, someone once told me, if you haven't failed in at least 10 things, you're, you're not living or growing as an individual. So you have to be comfortable with failing. But uh, adding to that is you only get one ride. So, you know, make the best of that ride is what... My mom used to tell me, you know, everything's not going to be perfect, but, you know, go around and make the best of it. So, you know, we get one ride in this world, so I want to make sure that uh, I make the best of it. And finding your passion and what I call at peace uh, is awesome for me, and I'm sure it would be for everyone that gets to that point. Thank you, Ed. We need to close. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was just incredible to have you. Thank you. Listeners, see you next week. All right. Bye, all. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.